What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Ableton Music Producer Podcast. Today is a very special episode. I've been looking forward to interviewing today's guests for a good solid week and a half now. We have Brett Porter with us. He was a lead developer for MIDI 2.0, which is in the works right now to be released. It's going to revolutionize a lot of future instruments, MIDI controllers as we know them today, and the way that they can be played and performed and used for the future. Uh, we also have Moldover, Matt. He was actually in episode number nine back in the day of the podcast. So he's a good friend, and Matt has worked on a ton of awesome projects with artists and companies doing customized, modified controllers. We're going to talk a lot about MIDI 2.0 today, but before we dive into this episode, first of all, today's episode is sponsored by Melodics, and it's an app that you can download. It helps you build your skills using a MIDI keyboard, a pad controller, or electronic drums. It's a good way to practice and build your skills, having fun. There's a big lesson variety and has a really cool lesson plan and learning structure that gamifies the process of practicing. So check it out. Go to Melodics.com, save 20% using LPO-20. That's LPO, like live producers online, dash 20. Check it out on Melodics.com. You won't regret it. There's also a free trial, so give it a try. Before we jump into today's episode real quick, I had a great conversation with the head of marketing of the plugin company, OIC Sound. They make some really cool plugins for transient shaping, for EQing. It's really next level. There's no EQ out there on the market that I've experienced like what they have created. And here's a quick conversation I had with their company before we jump into the podcast. Thanks, man, for joining the podcast. And right here, everybody, I have Hannes Anderson. You are the head of marketing for OX Sound. I contacted you and basically said, hey, I love your products. Would you be interested in licensing an NFR so I could expand and play with them a little bit more after the trial ended? Because I fell so much in love with Sooth 2 and Spiff specifically. Sooth 2, it feels like cheating. It's like a little massage for your eardrums. It's amazing. And I call it like EQ for dummies and for smart people at the same time because it's just so easy to use. It's like instant magic. I do a lot of mixing with live instruments, such as like saxophone, which can be really harsh, and other sounds too that can be really aggressive, like big synths. Once I drop it onto the insert of the track, it's amazing. According to the manual, which I read the other day, it's a dynamic resonance suppressor. Yeah. So it's and it's very like visually beautiful. Like the aesthetics of the plugin is nice, which I feel like is huge when you're mixing and staring at a computer screen all day. So from a visual standpoint, they look amazing. They sound even better. So yeah, man, I love love your products, love your plugins. How did you thank you uh, get started with this company and uh, what are you guys doing today? Yeah, well, that's a big question and that's a long answer, but I'll try to keep it short. We started back in November two thousand and. 16, I guess. Um, that was back then, it was only uh, the main developer, Ole Erik Keskinen, that started the company. OEK actually comes from his name. And uh, I knew him. We went to the same university and uh, studied together. So he, he had released this plugin and gotten some good feedback on the uh, Gear Sluts forum from pretty big names. I think already then, um, Grammy winners like Greg Wells and Chris Shaw had found out about the plugin, the first version, the, and they really liked it and, and said that, hey, this could be, or this is really revolutionary in their, in their words. So yeah, and then he needed help on kind of like getting it out there. So I joined a few months later and started working on that. And at the same time, uh, a second developer, uh, developer called Tommy Gren joined. And he's actually the guy behind our second plugin, Spiff, that is our adaptive transient processor. In 2017, we released Spiff. Then we had kind of two 
tools, one for resonances and one for transients that were extremely detailed in tackling certain problems and certain yeah problems that mixing engineers had had for a long time. And there wasn't really an easy way to fix those. Since Sooth One, everything was kind of like built from the ground up, um, bootstrapped, and there were some really novel ideas in Sooth One. It needed a lot of improvements to kind of take it into the next level or make it easier to use. And we spent around two years making the second version of Soothe. Now it feels like a lot more like the plugin it should have always been. Sounds yeah. better, easier to use, uh, and has some, some great features on the side as well. Yeah, well, it shows, man. I, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I've been using it religiously for the last two and a half weeks and have been very happy. Uh, I dropped it literally on almost, almost every track in my last project I was producing because, <laughs> I mean, it really is soothing. And it's like little massages to your eardrums, basically just immediately ducks and removes like harsh frequencies that it's hearing. And then you can obviously dial yeah. it in from there really surgically. But yeah. Yeah, it's a great product. Uh, that was Soothe too, but I'm very, very happy with it for sure. And I uh, encourage everybody listening to this podcast to go check them out. And you can go to your website. Where's the best place for people to download the free trial just from your site, right? Yeah, yeah. OXound.com. So that's O-E-K sound.com. And you just go to our download page and download them from there. We don't ask for any, we don't like even ask for your email for to download that. That's so, I mean, anyone's free to, you just need an iLock account. You don't need a dongle. You don't need a USB stick. You only need the iLock account and you mm -hmm. can activate your trial on that one. Use it for 20 days, mix as many albums during those 20 days as you want. We're not going to stop you. And I mean, yeah, it has no other limitations. So, right. I will also say, uh, Spiff, check that out as well as Soothe. Um, I ended up processing some of my drums the other day with that and just made it punch really hard. Yeah. Spiff is different to other transit processors. I, I would usually suggest checking how detailed it is and how fast it is because you can one way i use it is for example for podcasts or any kind of broadcast stuff or vocals or really kind of over compressed vocal i like to tame like mouth clicks and pops and all those asmr sounds really that come yeah. from the mouth and there there's actually a good preset for that in spiff that, that's called remove mouth clicks so mm -hmm. that's one thing. Then you can, for example, just bring out the pick attack from like a funk guitar, for example. And I really like using it to push elements further back in the mix by pushing the transients down or pushing them forward. Yeah, honestly, I might even use it for this podcast because every once in a while you'll hear somebody like sneeze in the background or like they'll get too close to the mic and they're like kissing the mic and it makes these weird noises. And yeah, um, cool, man. Well, thank you, uh, Hannes, for joining the podcast and just thank talking about me. this great new product. It's so easy to use. Everybody go check it out. Um, it's not because I'm being paid to say this. I really genuinely love these products. And uh, yeah, it's oeksound.com. Grab that free trial. Check it out for yourself. Yeah, man. I appreciate you joining. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Big thanks to OX Sound and Melodics for sponsoring this podcast. And now for today's episode with Brett Porter and Moldover on MIDI 2.0. Hey, Brett, how's it going? Hey, good it's, it's good to meet you. I'm a fan. I saw you play in Boston five or six years ago. It was a great show. Oh, cool. Thank you. Do you live yeah. in Boston? I do not. I was up, it was for the very first A3E convention that they did up there. Mm -hmm. And you yeah, did something at the that. Berkeley Performance Center. It was really, uh, I thought, sweet. Cool. Where were you based? Um, I'm outside New York City. The company I work for is distributed. We're every place, but this is just happens to be home base for me. And I don't know if you saw it, the MIDI org uh, rebranded themselves this week and they have this big video that Craig Anderton put together. And there's a really nice shot of you in the video. 
Oh no! What's so yeah, so go, go to midi.org and you'll see yourself if you watch the video. Yeah, there you go. Surprise! Awesome. Well, Matt, it's good to see you, man. It's yeah. been a long time. It's been a long time. I think Matt and I met. It's about five years ago, and when you came and did a, a user yeah, group yeah, event, and you hung out at my place, and we hung out all evening. You slept on my couch. I promise, if you come back, I'll have like a great stay for you. Five star Dan Hotel waiting yeah. for you next time. <laughs> but no worries you yeah. know i'll sleep on whatever you can right. put me on the ground rock rock star life brett thanks for joining this is the first time we've actually officially met and really excited to have both of you on the podcast today matt you are like coined as the godfather of controllerism so i know that you're really heavy into the hardware side and brett i know that your background and a lot of your experience is also in the software side obviously you guys do a lot of both but I think it's interesting to be able to pick both brains on MIDI 2.0 coming out, which, Brett, you were one of the lead developers in developing MIDI 2.0. So I'm excited to talk to you more about that with Matt. Matt, you are a MIDI controller genius. Um, you've worked with a lot of big artists in the industry and have done a lot of custom MIDI configurations, custom controller builds for artists. Um, you've been using Live since like version one, right? Since day one. Yeah, Ableton Live. Big yeah, big it's user. been a while. And Brett, you also have worked with Art and Logic. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and they've done a lot of really cool projects in broadcasting pro audio music instruments. Uh, you have a background also in electronic music and have collaborated with some awesome companies like Cakewalk, Universal Audio, Roland. I could probably go on for the next half hour about the credits you guys have done. So thanks for joining the podcast. It's good to have you here. Uh, thanks for having me. It's fun to talk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I ended up, yeah, po you. I posted on social different accounts, basically saying, anybody have questions about the new MIDI that's coming out? Like, what does that look like? So I've got a list of questions at the end we can fire through to answer everybody's questions. But just getting started, like Brett, just to get to know you a little bit better, what's mm -hmm. your background? How did that lead you to being one of the lead developers for MIDI 2.0? Like, what, how did that happen? Um, well, back in the olden days, you know, like, like everybody else in this field, kind of, I went to college for music. I, I went to the University of Miami on a trombone performance scholarship, of all things. Got undergrad degree in composition, stayed on for a master's in electronic music, and had to learn to write code to get that degree. And, you know, to my father's surprise, I, I got a marketable skill in music school. You know, so yeah. I just kind of fell into it and, and bumped around. I was doing a lot of broadcast electronics and things at the beginning of my career. Basically, the first company I worked for, our, our job was to make FM radio stations sound more obnoxious, and we did it. Congrats. Uh, yeah, yeah, make yeah, big deal. Yeah, right on. Nice. Uh, and then I stumbled into this company, Art & Logic, which is, uh, was founded in 91 by three guys that had worked together back in the 80s. And real old timers might remember a company called Hybrid Arts that made what was actually the very first DAW. Um, but they made the mistake of deciding to focus on the Atari 1040 ST as the computer they were going to run on. So that limited the shelf life of the company. So uh, these three guys founded Art & Logic after Hybrid Arts went out of business. And we focus to a large degree on companies in the MI and pro audio space. But in the ensuing almost 30 years now, we do everything now. So no matter what kind of software people need, we have really good developers who can do that. Um, and then because we've worked with a lot of the companies in the biz, uh, the MIDI Manufacturers Association was kind of secretly working on what is now called MIDI 2. At that point, they were afraid to give it that name to kind of jinx it, I, I guess. And uh, they came to us because they knew that we had kind of no agenda. I, we don't have a product. We, all do, we only do custom software. Hmm. So they were looking for developers who 
understood what the problem was, who had worked with MIDI and had, you know, bumped our, stubbed our toes and all the, the problem areas with it, and could get to work building prototypes. Because right at that point, all they had was a spec document, and everything works when it's just a spec document. It's only, you find the problems when you start trying to put the pieces together and say, well, this doesn't work on in reality like the way it does on paper. So I, I'm a little uncomfortable being called an architect of MIDI 2. I'm the first guy or one of the first guys to sit down and actually try and make it work. Yeah. I'd say that's still an accomplishment. That's pretty cool. Uh, no, I'm proud. That's kind of what I built my, my life up to doing. So I was like, yeah, oh, finally, yeah. this is, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. And and so one question that I have, and I know a lot of people have been thinking in relation to like leading up to you working on MIDI, is why did it take over 30 years to get to do .0 from the very beginning? Like what, in that process, like why now? I think there's a lot of different answers to that. I think one of them is just that MIDI does exactly what it needed to do for a long time. It's very simple. It's very cheap. Uh, if you're building hardware, you can put MIDI inside your box for not much money and not much effort. Uh, and because it's kind of ubiquitous, it's built into all the operating systems, there wasn't really a need, a perceived need to, to make any upgrades to it. And then I think another thing that happened is MIDI kind of became invisible because of that. And, and I still now, telling young people, especially that have been working on MIDI too, they're like, MIDI doesn't even exist anymore. You know, we use USB now. And you just mm -hmm. want to bop them in the head and say, dude, what do you think is on that USB cable? It's MIDI. Yeah. You know, so it, it's kind of a PR thing at that point. And mm. it's just happened that in the last 10 years, the capabilities of, of computers and the expectations of users have, have really been upgraded because everything else has gotten so much better mm -hmm. that I think it kind of made sense to go back and say, okay, what can we build on top of the existing framework of MIDI to bring it up to par with where the world needs it to be right now? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I also listened to your podcast episode with Bobby Alsinski, who was on this podcast, uh, I don't know, like probably a year ago or so. Um, and one thing you said on his podcast I thought was interesting is you uh, part of the implementation of 2.0 was uh, they had to get a lot of Japanese manufacturers and a ton of other users on board with all the specs and protocol in the United States to meet everybody's standards. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure that was like not an easy task in itself. Well, it's, it's a very consensus-driven organization. And, and like you say, there are actually two organizations in the world that are in charge of MIDI. There's the MIDI Manufacturers Association, which now is, is kind of changing its name. It's just becoming the MIDI Association, which I, I think is going to be less confusing for people. And then in Japan, there's a separate group called AME, which is just the organization of the Japanese music instrument industry. And not only does the, the MIDI Association for the rest of the world have to decide on specs that they agree with, then there's that other sales process of making sure that Ame says, yeah, we agree with this and we're going to actually put this into our products. Because if Roland, Yamaha, and Korg don't put it in their products, it's kind of a waste. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You get all the big players on board, try to make everybody happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And But like I say, it's I've been in other standards committees before. And the difference between this one and any of the others that I've been on is that everybody on a regular standards committee has the hidden agenda of wanting to do whatever their company is going to make the most money doing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in the MIDI uh, spec meetings that I've been at, the hidden agenda that all of us on the committee have is what can I do to make this cooler for me as a musician? And, yeah. and that's a much better place. Yeah, that makes sense. 
That makes sense. I mean, Matt, I think that's a good transition into what you've done over the last couple of years is, I mean, you've worked with a lot of controllers and building custom controllers. And I mean, with the capabilities of 2.0 and everything you've heard about in Red, and this be maybe a good conversation for you and Brett to have too, what are you most excited with some of the 2.0 capabilities that we've heard are coming out? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm sort of like this this indie hacker, maker, pseudo designer, manufacturer. I don't know. I wear all these different hats. And so, uh, but MIDI's very much at the core of like all this stuff, right? It's the way we connect everything. And so it's integral to, to what I do. It's funny, but I've, I've sort of just, I gave up, I gave up on like all people's complaints about MIDI a long time ago, mostly <laughs> because a lot of my gigs are like getting paid to like work around that stuff. Yeah. You know, figure out a way to like beat what people perceive as a limitation of MIDI. You know, if you have control over the two things on each end, the controller and the software or whatever device it's talking to, you know, there's like always a workaround to make the old spec work just fine. But there's a lot of things that could be better. And hence, MIDI 2.0 is a thing. And what I'm excited about is basically to like crack open a lot of things that are really difficult to do. Yeah, if you don't have more flexibility in that protocol, specifically all the like handshaking stuff. Like a lot of people expect controllers to operate the way something like an Ableton push or a native instruments machina works where you like plug it in and you have all this like, you know, display information, you know, encoders, like names of parameters, just like a really rich interface on a controller uh, that talks with software or whatever other host. And doing that as a lower level manufacturer, I am not a Korg or a Yamaha or a <laughs> or Roland for sure. Doing all that stuff at my level is like, oh no, like I have to like write a Python script if I want that to work with Ableton Live. Right. Like, oh no, I don't think there is a way to make a custom controller that really works with Machina because it's not a part of native instruments, you know, landscape that they've opened up to developers. And uh, the possibility of A, making that process easier, of making a really rich, powerful controller that can display information or, or just do stuff far beyond basic like parameter control is huge and then the fact that it could work with like multiple manufacturers software and hardware is like awesome you know to make you know my custom controller something new something whimsical something people haven't seen before Mm -hmm. that can talk to all these different devices without having to like do some some crazy crazy stuff and uh yeah um, i'm glad to see it happen now um especially because things like uh, like mpe instruments you know those are one Mm -hmm. of the first things i think or those are one of maybe the like kick in the butt kind of things that are getting manufacturers to wake up to that kind of stuff. I'd be curious to hear Brett or your, or your uh, opinions about MPE stuff. Yeah. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with MPE, it basically is MIDI polyphonic expression. You want to explain Brett, maybe what that means and how 2.0 is going to be like the rock star of that in the future. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm guessing at this point, most people in the biz have seen controllers like the Linstrument or the, the Rolly Seaboard or things like that, Yeah. where, you know, with the, the Seaboard, it's not, it looks in one sense, kind of like a traditional keyboard, except that the sensors underneath it exist all the way up and down the key bed. So the, the sensors inside of that box are tracking each one of your fingertips individually. And you know, as you slide your fingers up and down from the, the front of the key back to the key fall, it, it can send out different MIDI controllers based on that. Or you can put a finger down and instead of having to use a pitch bend wheel, you can drag your finger down the keyboard and it will do the pitch bend for you automatically. So you can have, if you've got 10 fingers on the keyboard, 10 completely different control things going on under each, each fingertip. Mm-hmm. And MPE did that within the bounds of MIDI 1. And basically the way that they did that was each of your fingers or whatever note you had going on got its own channel. 
So suddenly, you know, the pitch bend on channel one and pitch bend on channel two weren't interfering with each other. And you had this way to do per note control. And with MIDI 2, one of the cool things that's built into the protocol is almost everything that you can do within MIDI, you can do on a per note basis now. Yeah, that's wild. So if you're into, you know, microtonality and Zen harmonic stuff, every single note on that you can that you send can have its own tuning. And it can be anywhere within the audio spectrum. It doesn't have to be a detune from middle C if you're pressing you know, MIDI key number 60. Any note can have any intonation that you want. Each time you press it, it can have a completely different intonation. Um, pitch bend, filter control, any of the continuous, almost any of the continuous controllers are, are completely dynamic at this point. Yeah, and I think that's probably going to open up a whole new world of new instruments that we've never seen before, just because of that alone. The Rolly, I think you mentioned, is, is a really good example of that. I have a friend who is a classically trained pianist. And uh, when he played the Rolly, he it was like he had to relearn how to play keys because it was it was mm-hmm. so expressive. But that's about to go to a whole new level, which is kind of exciting and weird at the same time. Um, MIDI typically you can send a range of zero to 127, right? So you have like 128 values with MIDI 2.0. What does that expand to? Well, there's a couple different answers to that. So in like with note ons. Uh, velocity, 0 to 127 under MIDI 1. Under MIDI 2, that blows out to 65,000 velocity levels. Yeah, that's a lot. And for any of the continuous controllers, knobs, or, or pitch bend, that blows up to a 32-bit space, which is like 4 billion and change. That's unreal. So it, in reality, it's more than we need. You know, if you were going to build a, a knob that had 32-bit resolution, like the smallest you know, between zero and one, that would be like eight one thousandths of a degree. It's you like you literally like a, can't a build a controller wide. that does knob. that. <laughs> yeah, you would have <laughs> a knob that's three miles wide, Matt says. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It'd be like a you know, bus you know, steering wheel where you have to yeah. put your arms all the way out. It's awesome. Um, but that's the what cool I thing want. is that it makes the digital MIDI space feel like an analog space. It's a higher resolution than a human being can feel the difference between. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Uh, let's actually dive into some of the different questions people had on social media, because I think there's some sure. good ones in here. As far as MIDI 2.0, is that going to be compatible with existing controllers today? Like, for example, MIDI controllers that were built for MIDI 1. I mean, is this something that's compatible with all MIDI? Here, here's the cool thing, and I think this was a really smart thing in the early days of, of figuring out all these the problems, is that the question that I get asked what that basically boils down to that question is, do I have to throw everything away and start over? Right. You know, and, and the answer is no, when you buy, and, and like right now there really aren't very many MIDI two aware instruments for sale, but Roland has shipped, started shipping a keyboard at the beginning of this year. Any MIDI 2.0 piece of kit that you buy is going to, when you first apply power to it, it's going to wake up as MIDI one. And the first thing it does is it goes into a predefined set of MIDI one system exclusive messages that everybody in the world has spent 35 years figuring out how to work with. And it goes out and says, is there anybody out there that understands anything that I'm saying right now? And if so, those two devices start in a conversation because MIDI two is also bi-directional. It's not just a out going into an in and that's good. Everything mm-hmm. has to be a two-way conversation. It's awesome. And you only get the, the benefits of MIDI two if both ends of the, the connection know what they're doing. Gotcha. And if not, it's just, okay, cool. I, I'm going to go back into MIDI one mode and I'm just going to work as if everything has always worked. Yeah. So in other words, you won't have to use an extra cable likely to be running in and out and then out and in again. You could, 
you could just have one that plugs and goes both ways. Right, right. So I, I think that that's a whole different issue that, that people ask is for so many people, MIDI is tied not just to the data protocol, but that old five pin DIN connector. Mm-hmm. And the, the question is, even right now, we're used to MIDI over USB, we're used to MIDI over Bluetooth. Um, if you're in the modular world, there are modules out there that are using MIDI over TRS on an eighth inch connector. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so, so that connection's really kind of already gone away. And right now, just within the last month or two, the USB forum, who are the people that are responsible for deciding what can go on USB cable, have approved uh, our uh, request for a MIDI 2.0 transport over USB. Awesome. That's huge. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah. So it, it's, it's really, I think that's what we needed. And that, that's going to, I think, kickstart a lot of things because now things can be made a lot more real. That's, that's awesome. And that actually answers the next question, which is what connectivity options does 2.0 offer? You mentioned USB TRS for modular. I mean, that's really cool. That's great. That saves you from, from some people probably having to buy extra modules just for MIDI capabilities. Um, mm-hmm. And Ethernet, Bluetooth. Well, Bluetooth is, is going to happen. There's a question what that's actually going to look like. Um, USB is in the works right now. Uh, there's actually just in the last week or two within the MIDI 2 working group, they've started a new transport working group that, that's going to just shake. That's, that's going to be their job is figuring these things out. And there, there's a list of things people are interested in that's you know a page long. I think USB for most of us is going to be what we're looking at. I really expect Ethernet or TCP, IP, UDP, some sort of networked, whether that's RTP MIDI or if it's an advance on top of RTP MIDI or some new thing that's over that because it just makes so much sense to be able to carry this traffic over Ethernet at you know gigabit speeds instead of 31 and a quarter kbits a second. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. Matt, how can you see yourself... I know that you you perform, you tour, you play a lot. You have your own project Moldover. By the way, before we go on, I just want to say episode nine on this podcast was the episode I did with you uh, way back in the day. What episodes have you done by now, Dan? This will be what episode is this? I think this will be episode sixty-eight. Don't quote nice. me on that. But nice. yeah, that's a good catalog. It, it, it's it's growing, man. It's growing. I have great guests like you guys to make me look good, so it helps. <laughs> But anyway, so how will you use MIDI 2.0? I know you have the RoboCaster, which you turned your guitar into a MIDI controller. You have a lot of other cool toys that you've modded out. Do you have any ideas of maybe yeah. how that'll change? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like I'm usually not the first one to jump on when there's like a totally new thing because the people that do have to do extra work. <laughs> to make <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Iron out the That's smart. And I'm a little bit... I'm in this gray area where it's like, I want to make something that's new and interesting and exciting. And like innovation is like primary to a lot of what I do, but it's also like making stuff accessible to people, like building an instrument that I can put in other music makers hands. That means making something that's not like bleeding edge where you have to install and update firmware in your guitar, for example, um, just to get it to work when it gets in your hands. So, um, I'm not, I'm not the like first users. Right. So it's usually when things trickle down a little bit more and there's, a bunch of existing instruments from Roland or, you know, um, when MIDI 2.0 gets into Ableton, you know, that's Ableton Live. Like that's when it becomes more exciting for me because I'm more interested in like, you know, connecting all the pieces of this puzzle so that people can make uh, music in more creative and expressive ways. So it's for me, it's more like imagining like, oh, cool. Like I hope everybody embraces it. I hope it becomes a real ubiquitous thing at the next like three or four years. And in that case, it would be like, yeah, it it would be the kind of features I see in things like Ableton Push 
being uh, available to more boutique makers like me and the people I work with. Things like screens on your instruments and like more expressive displays, automatic mappings, and like a controller where the maker doesn't have to do a whole bunch of legwork, as I said before, to make it work with Ableton, to make it work with with Logic Pro or you know whatever software you're trying to to make your controllers talk to. Yeah, um, that kind of stuff, and then and then just stuff I haven't really even imagined. Like yesterday, I was looking at the the Yaltex uh, website. Have you looked at that? No. Uh, this is a like a boutique manufacturer in based in Argentina. Um, who's developed a system where you can build your own controller, your custom controller using a web interface. And so there's some limitations, but you can have as many encoders as you want, your faders, your buttons. And they've done a lot with like their encoder implementation is super interesting. Like they have all the fancy stuff that encoders can do, you know, like where different, you know, it looks like a panning display versus it looks like a knob it'll display like a view meter. If you hook it up to like, you know, tractor or something. That's cool. Um, So they're like thinking ahead and trying to make these crazy things. And I can what's, totally what's see like a little screen module. What's that name. name again? It's Yaltex. It's like the guy's last name. Uh, Y-A-E-L T-E-X. Okay. Nice. I'm going to um, check that out. That sounds yeah, fun. Yeah, me too. Cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. But they're, you know, they're the kind of makers I like to work with. It's hard for me to work with a big company like Roland, right? They've got, you know, right. hundreds of people on staff, engineers and designers and plenty of people to, you know, wear the hats that I wear. Um, but seeing stuff like Yaltex and this, you know, well, you can design your own controller and then imagining, you know, they've done it just to like get it going. And they've got some cool modules like joysticks that you wouldn't see on typical controllers. But like, I want like displays. Well, I don't really want displays, but displays are cool. I would like to see displays. Displays, displays are cool. Yeah, we love displays. We really do. The Push yeah. 2 got a nice update with that. Yeah. So yeah, just more more visual information, more like handshaking, more automatic configuration, little soft strip kind of things, you know, where you can see parameters pop up underneath your controls. Yes. Um, that kind of stuff, and of course MPE, like a little MPE module with a multi-touch, you know, pad well, like right have, in the middle of your push, for example. Have you guys seen? Um, there's this new thing. I think it's only Kickstarter. I don't think it's shipping yet. Uh, from a company called Embodme out in Europe. It's called the Array Touch, and it's no. looked like if you've seen the. Roly has the little block units that are like, you know, four inches by four inches. Yeah. This is like that, but the size of an iPad. And it's completely touch sensitive. They're saying that it's MIDI 2 ready. That's if you cool. go to MIDI.org, there's a thing that has some video of it. It yeah, looks really impressive. Air touch. E-R-A-E. E-R-A-E. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm having like a grocery list right now of things I'm probably going to go either check out or buy. This is good. <laughs> this is why we do this. Yeah. Cool. So, Brett. As far as future projects with MIDI 2.0, what, what are the final things you're going to do to wrap up this to get it out into the market in the mainstream? Well, I mean, there's still a lot of work to do. And, and I think you can tell that by the fact that you can't just go down to, I was going to say Guitar Center, but the bankruptcy is going to cause a problem there. Um, you can't just go someplace <laughs> and, and put oh, together man. a MIDI 2 rig today. So right now, neither the shipping versions of Mac OS or Windows have MIDI 2 support. The, the, the beta version of Big Sur that, that is out has some MIDI 2 capabilities in it, but it's, it's not widely done. None of the, the major manufacturers shipping this stuff yet. And part of that is because it's still really early. We, we approved the spec in January, and I, I really think that it was smart for companies to wait to start implementing until things were in ink. But even that being said, we're still shaking out putting the bits on the wire with a transport so things can talk to each other. We're still shaking out a big part of MIDI 2 is this idea of profiles, which think about it this way. If you've got a keyboard that's a 
an organ controller, like a drawbar organ. It's got the, the nine drawbars and all the controls for that. And you've got a unit, a, a rack mount synth or a plug-in someplace else that's a, a B3 module. There's no standard way under MIDI 1 for the controllers on your keyboard and the controllers that that module use to line up. You have to manually configure that. Um, even like Yamaha has seven or eight different pieces of hardware that do this and none of them work with each other. The, the big idea about profiles is that the manufacturers can sit down and they can say, okay, this is what a, a drawbar organ looks like. These are the controllers that it uses. It's always going to use these numbers. They're always going to behave in this way. And part of MIDI 2 is for devices to say, what profiles do you understand? And if the, the two ends of the communication both understand the same profiles, you can say, use this, everything auto-configures. That's awesome. That's so nice. So really, it is very easy plug and play, you know, because I know there's been people who have had concerns about that who don't really understand it. Well, and, and that's, I think, to me, there are basically two big things that MIDI 2 gives. And one of those is the data protocol with the more bits and more expressivity and, you know, being able to have attributes on your notes on and off. So it can be just not a note on. There's other data you can send with it. But then there's that plug and play aspect of it that I think is not going to be quite as maybe exciting to a lot of people because there's a, an extent to which that's just the way things should work. Yeah. I think like Matt is saying that, you know, if you've got a push, you plug it in, it works. And that's how the things, that's how the world should be. Right. And what this is doing is giving us a way as, as any manufacturer to be able to say, these are the properties I support. Here's how you can ask me about what I know how to do. What are my patch names? What are my parameter names? Mm -hmm. uh, it's really going to, once people start building these things into their equipment, it's, it's going to be like, Installing a printer 20 years ago was really hard, you know, whereas now you, you go to I'm the a staples, long way. You, yeah, yeah. You, you don't even have to plug it in. You just connect it to your network and everything says, okay, I know what kind of printer this is. I know what it knows how to do. I want to work. And yeah. MIDI gear is really going to turn into that. Cool. Well, I've been having some weird problems with my really old printer. So if you ever want to come over and help me with that, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, no, I, I thrive on that stuff. So I will. Yeah. That sounds great. Next time you're in Carmel, because I know you have family here, or used yes. to. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I know, well, I know the restaurants there. So. Yeah, there's some good breweries, but I feel like there's a lot of good breweries everywhere. So I don't know if Indianapolis is a place you have to schedule to come right now. <laughs> but anyway, so I guess last but not least, the other question that people had is, what companies are most excited about implementing 2.0 that you've seen? To be honest, I don't know that you know because I, I walk the floor at Nam every year and. This year, that's basically what I ask people because I do custom work and I'm looking for companies to say, I really want to do this, but I don't know how, how about you guys do this for me? And then I win. Yeah. Uh, I, I haven't talked to anybody that's not excited about it. A lot of companies are still kind of taking a wait and see attitude. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, the frustrating things, uh, you know, there are a couple times a week where I'm on conference calls with, you know, developers like me from companies at MIDI, you know, companies all around the world, nobody's going to say what they're working on until it's ready to ship. Yeah, that makes sense. So on the one hand, I know that their companies are interested in it enough that they're devoting engineering time to go sit on these meetings. Right. But past that, I have no idea until, you know, you read the press release like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Roland was one that was looking to be an early adopter and releasing something before 2.0 came out, which is interesting. I know that you mentioned on Bobby's podcast as well, um, Bohm MIDI Translator was already mm -hmm. looking at getting this ready, which I love Bohm's. Um, yeah, that's no, interesting. And, and that, that's, it's very interesting. One of the, the things, if you read the MIDI 2 spec, there's a large section of it that ha has nothing to do with, but other than how do you take a MIDI, piece of MIDI 1 data and convert it into MIDI 2 data and backwards? Hmm. 
So yeah, I expect Bohm. I don't know where he is on that process, but I, I have worked with Florian, uh, Florian Bomer, who owns Bohm, and you know he's been there every step of the way with MIDI too. Uh, That's awesome. So and and speaking of you know obviously there there are things that are not secret. So this January at NAM when we voted on the MIDI two spec, there were representatives, engineering representatives of Yamaha, Korg, and Roland who each had prototype gear running MIDI two protocol. And they connected them for the first time, you know, live in front of us, and everything worked. It was beautiful. Uh, and if you go to MIDI.org, uh, there's video of it. Cool. So it's, it's I, I wasn't there. I was still in high school when MIDI One did that plug and play demo at, at NAM in '83. But you know, I was there for this one. Awesome. Yeah, I wasn't able to make it out this last year, even though I was actually in LA when it was happening. But yeah, it's good stuff. I love what you guys are doing. I appreciate your time today. Matt, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about or share that's going on any projects you have right now um, or anything yeah. related to MIDI 2.0? I'm really curious about MIDI 3.0. Will <laughs> we be able to go back in time and actually fix our, our literal performances? You know, quantize, like, you know, my fretwork. Is is this possible, like time travel? I, yeah, time I traveling would be great, Brett. Could you work on I'm that? Gonna, I'm going to take notes on that. Yeah, I, I will <laughs> present that at the next meeting. Great. Yeah, no, that would be I, helpful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the prompt, Dan. I just want to, I want to draw people's attention. I'm not sure when the podcast will come out, but I'm doing a, I released a, a remix compilation, which is also a fundraiser last week called The Sound of Change. So if you just yes. search for Moldover and The Sound of Change, um, you'll find this, um, this fabulous collection of music that I put together with some music makers from all around the world and it's connected to a fundraiser. So um, yeah, that's if you your, like our music, support it's a our four cause. track EP, right? Yeah, remix EP, yeah. Yeah, yep. So it was, a, it was a really dope EP, by the way. And I heard some of the remixes. It sounded awesome. It was cool. I was trolling you through Instagram the other day. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You got a new release, new release out too, don't you, Dan? Uh, yeah, it just came out. Basically, been sitting on it in the archives for a long time. And it was my band performed live in the woods. And then I, we made a studio version and we released. But yeah, it was fun. Good times. Brett, I know you have a background in electronic music. Are you still having time these days to make any of your own music for fun or... You know, here's the funny thing is that I decided to go back and uh, earlier this spring, I bought a copy of Dorico from Steinberg and I'm actually sitting down and writing music music. Awesome. Which is, you know, kind of, a, I haven't stretched those mus muscles in a long, long time. So yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm writing a brass quintet. It's like, who does that now? Why not? Why not? I mean, really, what is a genre anymore? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Like just making music that makes you happy, right? Yep. That's all that matters. <laughs> cool. Well, I appreciate your time, both of you guys. I know we all have busy schedules. Um, I'm just thankful to have you and pick your brains on this topic. I know a lot of people are going to get some good value out of it. Um, any last thoughts, comments, anything you want to share? Uh, no, thanks for the time. It was, it was fun. Yeah. One more thing. Where's the best place for people to stay connected with you guys if they wanted to? Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's my website, moldover.com. So that's, that's pretty easy if you can yep. spell moldover. Yes. Um, like and as far as me at, at work, uh, the name of the company is Art and Logic, which is all spelled out in the URL. You can check us out there. And every place else in the world, you can find me at BG Porter, no matter what it is, um, Twitter, Instagram, all of those. I'm always there. Cool. Yep. Uh, thanks again for your time. Everybody check out the links in the show notes for this episode. You'll see everything they just mentioned there to stay connected with Brett and Matt at the same time. So much love for everybody listening. Thank you. Brett, again, thanks, Matt. Uh, maybe we'll have you back on the podcast in the future when 2.0 is out and doing good things for the world. Awesome. Cool. I'm in. I appreciate you guys. Have a great day. Great. We'll talk Thank soon. You, thanks. Yeah. Later. 
Yo, thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you want to stay subscribed and be the first to hear new episodes when they come out, go to liveproducersonline.com slash newsletter. Join the newsletter. I'll also send you new updates when I have events or webinars and things that I'm doing as well. If you want to stay connected, liveproducersonline.com slash newsletter. Also, if you want to join my Ableton training membership every week, I'm going live in a group where you choose the topics that you'd like to discuss and go deeper in and grow your skills producing music in Ableton. So consider joining the membership on liveproducersonline.com. Click the join button. Thanks for listening. I will see you guys next time.